Good morning, everyone. If you're on one of those low-fat, high-protein diets, the keto, the Atkins, the paleo, the Cro-Magnon, kill it, need it raw, or gluten-free diets, the next 21 minutes might be hard for you because today I'm talking all about bread. Bread, I mean, is there anything better than the aroma of fresh bread hot out of the oven? When you break open a warm loaf, the smell permeates your senses, your mouth waters, your taste buds go on high alert, your stomach starts to rumble, and as you break off a piece, you feel the rough texture of the bread on your fingertips. Maybe you add some olive oil or butter, and with the first bite, the flavor spreads through your mouth, into your stomach, becomes part of you, begins to nourish you. Jesus said, this is what it's like for your soul when he is Lord of your life. John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Those who come to me will never go hungry. I am the bread of life. When, when we go to a restaurant, we generally focus on the entree, and the basket of bread on the table is usually secondary. In Jesus' day, the bread was the most important part of the meal. Meat was the side dish, and the bread was the major part of the meal. So when Jesus says that he is the bread of life, he's saying he's the most important part of life. He's the main course, and he makes this incredible promise. He says, the person who comes to me will never be hungry. The person who comes to me will find satisfaction and nourishment and sustenance. Their lives will be full and flourishing. And so conversely then, the, the one who doesn't come to Jesus will always be hungry, dissatisfied, spiritually undernourished, their soul famished. What could it mean for us today if we really look to Jesus as our bread of life? I am the bread of life. The Apostle John brilliantly organizes his gospel around seven I am statements made by Jesus. Each one is a powerful description of some way in which Jesus wants to interact with our lives. I am the bread of life is the first. And John sets up this first I am declaration by devoting the entire chapter six to the topic of bread. In the beginning of chapter six, Jesus performs one of his most amazing public miracles called the feeding of the 5,000. A huge crowd kind of spontaneously gathered to hear Jesus preach. Nobody planned for it to happen, so there were no food trucks, no vendor carts, no porta-potties. Just one big open field. So Jesus has compassion in him, asks him to sit down, and then a boy innocently offers Jesus the food in his lunchbox. And Jesus, as he does with all of us, takes the little we have to offer and he multiplies it. He takes the boy's simple lunch, prays over it, multiplies it and feeds them with what? With fish and barley. Barley loaves, to be exact. And when the meal was over, they gathered up 12 huge baskets filled with leftover scraps of bread for people to take home. People saw something powerful in Jesus. So they want more of him. They follow Jesus all the way around the Sea of Galilee. Now Jesus knows what's in their hearts. They want another handout. They're looking for another free meal. They, they want Jesus to put on another show to make this bread trick, you know, his, his gimmick, his, his shtick, just to draw a crowd. You know, there are a lot of churches that are going that route these days. Ministry becomes gimmicks to draw a crowd, or mission becomes marketing. But Jesus doesn't play that game. In verse 26, he says, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Don't be concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For the God the Father has given me his seal of approval. Jesus echoes the words of God through the great prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 55. Why spend money on what is not bread? 
and your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. Come to me, hear me that your soul may live. Wow, that's really the same challenge that hits us where we live today. I mean, what are we working for? What do we really want out of life? What do we use to fill all that nagging hunger that's in our hearts? Why are our hearts so restless? So much of our lives seems focused on just making a living, on getting money and things and gadgets. Just making a living when we really need to do is to make a life. The Bible teaches it's okay to have material things if, and sometimes it's a big if, if we keep our things in proper perspective and balance. If we miss that the primary focus of life has to be in God, we walk around with an aching hollowness like your stomach is perpetually empty. Ravi Zacharias says it this way, with all our ingesting and consuming, our hungers are still many and our fulfillments are few. What are we doing? Where are we heading? Unable to relax, unable to find satisfaction, then for more than just a few minutes at a time, these restless hearts, constantly busy, constantly seeking something. We work hard, we play hard, we party hard, hoping to find something that will give us the peace we're looking for. And yet, despite all we do, we continue to hunger. What are we looking for? What will make us happy? What will set our souls at rest? What is it that we want? Jesus is talking about all our inner compulsions and desires by using this image of bread. I think what Jesus is saying is that when we give ourselves over to him on a daily basis, we will taste the difference in our lives. Our lives will have a different flavor. To have the bread of life that Jesus is talking about is to discover a daily relationship with God, a continuing connection with God that satisfies our inner hunger, enables us to find peace and wholeness. This is what Jesus means by the bread of life. Jesus claims to be the source of our inner satisfaction. But Jesus doesn't stop there. His intense words about the bread of life get even harder to swallow, no pun intended. If you look down at verse 51 in chapter 6, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Now, this is really a startling statement. The people who were listening to him were so upset that a riot, a fight almost broke out. Verse 52 says, they began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They were stumped because it seemed like, like Jesus was advocating some kind of a cannibalism. Jesus here is prefiguring the Last Supper. His disciples really wouldn't understand what he was saying until they gathered in that upper room and they saw the connection between bread and his physical body broken for them when he died on the cross. Jesus was leading them to a moment of decision. He would no longer allow them to follow him just for the entertainment value or the free food. And this is such an important point. Whenever a person encounters Jesus, there will come a time of disruption followed by a moment of decision. A time of disruption followed by a moment of decision. At some point, God shakes up our world, reveals a little more of himself to us, more than we can handle. And that forces us to make a decision. Do I go closer to him or do I walk away? 
disruption. If you keep reading on in verses 60 to 65 in chapter 6, he says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Jesus' claims are too much for some people. The issue wasn't that they couldn't understand. They understood. They just didn't want to go there. They didn't want to surrender to it. You know, sometimes we think people just need more information about Christ before they can put their faith in him. More often than not, it's not a matter of needing more data. It's an issue of lordship. In other words, the problem is not intellectual. It's volitional. It's in the will. It's human pride refusing to come under Christ's authority and Christ's control. When push comes to shove, some people simply do not want to fully surrender their lives to Christ, even some who claim to be Christian. What's striking here is that Jesus doesn't kind of adjust his teachings to make it more palatable, more agreeable to the people who he sees walking away. He lets them go. He doesn't say, wait a minute, I was only kidding, I apologize if my rash words offended anyone. No, no, Jesus does not chase after them. In fact, he actually doubles down and challenges them even more when he sort of sarcastically, with a little bit of snarkiness, asks in verse 61, does this offend you? Does this offend you? Well, tough toenails. John shows us that the real Jesus is not always easy to listen to or follow. Essentially, Jesus is saying that if you're bothered by what the bread of life is asking you to do, that's good. If you feel like I'm challenging the way you live, I am. If it seems like my teaching is hard to accept, it is. The question from Jesus now becomes, what are you going to do about me? John shows us two responses, desertion or declaration. Choice one is desertion. We can't help feel a little sad at this point. If you look at verse 66, it says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. The fair-weather followers didn't get what they wanted, so they left. They bailed. The church shoppers, the casual spiritual consumers, those seeking a spiritual high without commitment, they left Jesus because Jesus offered what they really needed, a new relationship with God, but they decided to bail rather than believe. Does that happen today? You bet, all the time. The casual spiritual consumers, they're not the same as true disciples. They can become disciples, that's the hope, but sadly many will always just kind of haunt the edges of the body of Christ and never really fully commit to the bread of life. Or choice two, declaration. As the crowd thins out, as people are walking away, Jesus turns to the twelve and verse 67 he says, Do you want to leave too? Talk about a line in the sand. It's time to pick a side. It's like they say in Texas, there's nothing in the middle of the road but yellow stripes and dead armadillos. So pick a side. Jesus speaks up and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. What Peter is saying is, Lord, you are not easy to live with. You embarrass us and at times you frighten us. We don't always understand you, and yet your words are the most remarkable things that we have ever heard. They explain who we are, help us to understand life itself. We are held here by our desire for more of you. We have put our faith in you. Where else would we, could we go? Because you are the bread of life. Jesus calls us to have our lives filled with him, the bread that satisfies. His presence is life-giving. He is our soul food our constant source of spiritual nourishment. The life that Jesus promises is the gift of eternal life, but plus also a life where you can experience him now as internal peace and purpose 
and a source of living power. How do we do that? How does Jesus become the bread of your life? Well, I am definitely not a food channel kind of guy, but years ago I got a quick lesson in bread making. My extended family used to spend the week following Christmas together at a small cross-country ski place in New Hampshire called Moose Mountain Lodge. It was idyllic. Everything you could imagine about a winter place in New Hampshire. Snow, huge fireplace, an eagle in the sky, hiking, cross-country skiing, sledding, a little frozen pond where my son John first learned how to ice skate. But best of all, just delicious home-cooked gourmet meals and the best sourdough bread I've ever had. I was hanging out in the kitchen talking with Kay, who owned the lodge with her husband. And she gave me a quick lesson on sourdough bread. She told me that sourdough bread requires a starter. A starter is an active, living yeast culture with the power to become bread. It's a, it's a living organism, but it only stays fresh if you regularly feed it with water and flour. If not, it turns gray and goes bad. But if you feed it, the sourdough starter grows and grows and soon, be, soon becomes more than you can use. Unless you are baking sourdough bread 24 hours a day, seven days a week, at some point, you've either got to give some of the starter away. Because if you don't get it, give it away, it becomes too big and becomes useless. You've got to give it away or throw it away. Kay told me these were the two simple principles of sourdough starter. You've got to feed it and you've got to give it away. You've got to feed it and you've got to give it away. I read an article about a guy in San Francisco who's got a 230-year-old sourdough starter. He actually has the pedigree written down of who started the starter and who it was passed on to until it finally reached him. Think of the history that sourdough starter has lived through. Beginning one of the East Coast colonies in the late 1700s, it fed pioneer families as they moved west to Ohio and Indiana. Went through the Civil War, that, that sourdough starter went on wagon trains across the great prairies and somehow ended up on the West Coast. Think of all the sacrifices and trials, the joys and the hardships it witnessed. So this guy has a tremendous sense of responsibility with this sourdough starter. He's received it. He's got to keep it alive. He's got to feed it. And he's got to give it away. As you think of Jesus as the bread of your life, I want you to see Jesus as the original sourdough starter. And we need to use the same two principles to keep our faith and relationship with him healthy. You've got to feed it, and you've got to give it away. Feed it. To, that, to me, that means asking, you know, are you hungry for God? Do you actually have an appetite for God? If Jesus is the true source of inner spiritual nourishment and satisfaction, if he is like the manna which fed the Israelites in the wilderness, then, then Jesus comes to meet your deepest needs. Do you have a hunger for him? That's the main thing we need to focus in on. Do we have a hunger for Christ? Because if you do, you will feed your desire for him. You will find the time. You will give him the attention. You will make faith a priority if you have a hunger. You will, make, you will find time in your week. You will make good choices with your schedule and with your focus. You know, what you feed grows. That's just the basic reality of life. If you feed anger or resentment or jealousy in your heart, if that's what you dwell on in your thinking, then that's what's going to grow. If you feed negative emotions, negative attitudes, they're going to grow in your life. If you feed on Christ, then his influence over your life will also grow. The problem is we let so many other things crowd into our hearts and mind, and it just kind of uses up all our space. Listen, living a victorious Christian life requires self-discipline. 
It requires self-discipline to set aside that time for prayer, to grow your understanding of the Bible, to make worship a family priority, to not cave into the pressures and the status symbols of our culture, to to be God's man or woman. It takes self-discipline. That's how you feed your faith in the bread of life. As John Piper says it, if we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because we have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Our soul is stuffed with small things, and there's no room for the great. I love that. Is your soul stuffed with small things? Or can you eat on spiritual food? Are you filled with junk food, fast food, things that don't satisfy? If you're full of what the world offers, then there's no room for Christ to be your bread of life. You've got to feed your soul's appetite for God. I think this ties into last week's message about the vine, how God in love has to prune away the dead wood, the dead branches, so that the living fruit can emerge. Maybe some pruning has to happen in your life. I mean, how many times have you finished watching a TV show or realized you've been jumping around on the Internet and you say to yourself, well, that was just a waste of time. That was a waste of my life. There's so many soul wasters in our, li- in our week. Things that don't feed us at all, that don't feed our souls or our minds or our hearts with anything of value. How many more episodes of that TV show do you really need to watch? What a waste. Sometimes the reason we are not hungry for God is because we've already filled up our lives with the junk food of the world. We are bloated. We've got too much other junk going on in our heads. All the distractions and time wasters of this world, and there are a million of them. It's like we need a soul cleanse so that we can feed our hunger for God. You know, spiritual hunger is often contagious. So get around other people who are hungry for God or people who are further on in the journey than you. Get in a group. Be connected with some healthy Christian friends. Study the books or listen to the podcasts of inspiring Christian leaders and Bible teachers. Find people who share and who will encourage your hunger for Christ. Pray with them. Pray for them. Ask them to pray for you. And pray to Jesus simply, Lord, help me to be hungry for you and for your word. You've got to feed that sourdough starter for the bread of life to be yours. And you've got to give it away. As Jesus came to be that bread of life the world was starving for. He came to reconnect people with their God, with their creator. Jesus made this an essential part of his message. John 10, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this pen, I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And then he passed on that that sense of urgency, that mustness to his disciples and he said, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so that spiritual, spiritual sourdough starter, it has been passed down to us throughout the centuries. So we've got to feed it, but we've also got to give it away. Read any newspaper, any online news site, listen to any news broadcast, or just listen to the people around you throughout the day. What will that tell you about our world, that our world needs the bread of life? Our world is starving for God's goodness and grace, starving for God's peace and mercy. That's why it's important that we support our overseas missions, why we give away the bread of life through our mission partners in faraway places like orphans in Bolivia or whole villages in Malawi, Africa when we provide food and basic supplies to war refugees in Aleppo, Syria, as we did last year, when we share the gospel in Mexico or Ireland, as we will do this summer. 
It's important to give away the bread of life like that. But as a church, we're slowly realizing that our main mission field is right here. A huge cultural shift has taken place in one generation. In America, the church used to be at the center of culture. I mean, look at New Providence. This town literally grew up around this church. The town is named after this church. And that's true of many towns in the early colonies. The church was physically and spiritually the center of the community and social life. And we know that's no more, friends. And it is not coming back that way. We do not live in a Christian culture anymore. So we are going to have to become a lot more creative in how we pass on the bread of life. It's the same sourdough starter, but we've got to find some new pans to cook it in. Same essence of Christ, but there might be some different forms or expressions, new shapes and styles. Same delicious flavor. We don't ever mess with the essence, but new ways to give it away. Obviously, our personal witness, that's the most effective. Not everyone is an evangelist. We've talked about that. But we also say all are called to be a witness. So go treat people this week the way Jesus would treat them. Pray for the people that you encounter. Let people know the goodness that you've experienced from Christ. Pray that God might give you the opportunity to lead at least one person further along in faith to Christ in the next year. I mean, is that, is that too much to ask? One person? One person in the entire year? You know, we have 981 people in our church database that are members or regular attenders. What if we actually took this message seriously, to give away our faith? What if we actually got serious about giving away the bread of life? What, what would it look like if everyone took seriously the simple challenge, each one, reach one? Each one, reach one. Simple, right? I can't make it any simpler. Each one, Reach one. Give it away. Can you imagine the exponential growth that we would see if we took seriously and all started sharing the bread of life with others? Because all that means is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. One beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread of life. You've got to feed your faith and you've got to give it away. Quite frankly, I must admit that as a church, I don't think we're living by the sourdough principles when it comes to the bread of life. I think we've got a long way to go. The sourdough starter has been passed on to us since the time of the disciples. It's been passed on to us from the pioneers who founded this church in 1737. And now it's our turn. We've got to feed it, and we've got to give it away. If not, it turns gray, goes bad, and dies. Don't let that happen. Don't hoard the bread of life for yourself. You've got to feed it. And you've got to, you've got to give it away. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you just for this, again, a very, very simple image. But as we unpack it, it becomes so deep and rich and full. We thank you for the fact that you are the satisfaction for our souls, that our deepest needs will only find fulfillment in you. Our deep restlessness, Lord, will only find a home in you. Peace can only be found in you, Lord, the bread of life. May we take you in, may we ingest you, and may we find deep satisfaction in our souls. Help us to feed our faith and give it away. It's in your name we pray. Amen.